Our reading this evening is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Those were some instructions that God gave through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel while they were in exile in Babylon. They had been carted off from their homes, from their land, from their city, Jerusalem. They'd been carted away, and here they sat in Babylon, and they mourned, and they wept, and they said, we can't even sing the songs of our homeland because we are so far far away, and they were almost on the edge of despair. And God sent them a message through the prophet Jeremiah, and he said, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. This was a surprising set of instructions that God gave to the people of Israel. He was expecting them to lay down roots there in Babylon. 
to build houses and live in them, cultivate gardens and eat the produce, to marry their sons and daughters, to get married and have children, to grow families. God was expecting all of them to do all of that in that city that they lived, a foreign city, a city that was not their own, a place they didn't belong. And then he says, pray for that city. Pray for the place you dwell, because its welfare is your welfare. That is how God wanted the exiles to live. There for a time. Seventy years, God said, you're going to be there. Seventy years, you're going to be in Babylon, and here's what I want you to do while you are there. I want you to live, and I want you to work, and I want you to pray. It was surprising. If they had their minds about them, they would have thought, we don't belong here. Why would we ever lay down roots here? Why would we ever do anything on behalf of this city, this city Babylon? They're wicked, despicable people. Why would we pray for them? Why would we be glad to live here? Well, the gladness and the joy and the prayer and the work, that all comes from knowing this, that God had promised to take them home and that he had put them there for a time to do his work, to live the life that he had given to them. And that is always the way it is for God's people. Now in the New Testament, as much as it was in the Old Testament, you are strangers and exiles in a foreign land. You don't belong here. This world is not the place you are destined to live. This world is destined for fire. That's something we hear an awful lot about at the end of the church year and in the season of Advent. A world destined for fire. The Lord's judgment came on the city of Babylon eventually. The Lord's judgment will come on this world. But what does he want you to do while you are here? He doesn't want you to sit on your hands and be idle. He doesn't want you to think that nothing is worthwhile. He doesn't want you to fall in love with the place. He doesn't want you to lay down such deep roots that you won't be ready to leave when it is time. But he does want you to build houses and live in them. To plant gardens and eat their produce, to have children and to give your children in marriage, and to pray for the welfare of this city. Because when you pray on behalf of this world, you are praying on behalf of the place that God has put you for a time. This is the message that Paul is giving to the Thessalonians today. They knew that the day of the Lord was coming. Paul had taught them that the day of the Lord was coming. And what kind of a day that would be? It would be a day of fire and judgment and vengeance. And God's people would be rescued from their enemies like Noah floating on the waters above all of the enemies of God. That day is coming. But some were evidently tempted to think that meant that nothing they did mattered. They were tempted to idleness, to kind of throw up their hands in despair, not to labor, not to work, and not to pray. And so today, Paul says, I give you this command. Pray. Pray and be busy. Do not grow weary of doing good. This Advent, we have learned how to welcome our King rightly, how to rejoice when Jesus returns. It is not natural to us to welcome Jesus. In fact, when Jesus returns, according to the flesh, we would turn and hide. We would run away like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so we must learn how to welcome him aright. Two weeks ago, we heard how that begins with gratitude. Gratitude for the faith and the love that he has given to us. Gratitude that he has made us his own. That would be the starting place for the people of Israel in exile. There they are in Babylon, among all kinds of people who do not belong to God. Whom he has not called to be his own. There they sit and they could think, what do we have to be thankful for? 
We aren't at home. But what they have to be thankful for most of all is this, that they belong to God. That they are his and he is theirs. And that's how it is for you. Give thanks to God. That's the starting place for welcoming him aright. Give thanks to God even in the face of persecution, especially in the face of persecution. That is the test of faith. When all around you, when all around you are throwing up their hands and encouraging you to despair, don't despair, but rejoice. God has placed you here to be witnesses, lights to the world. Rejoice that he has given you this task. Rejoice also in the righteous judgment of God. That a flood is coming, not a flood like at the time of Noah, but a flood of God's judgment to wipe away all sin and all wickedness and to rescue you. To take you out of this fleshly life, this mortal life, this sin-filled life, and to make you perfect in his own son's image. That is something to rejoice in. We also rejoice in the truth. That's what we heard about last week, that when Jesus comes, he brings the truth. He scatters the darkness. No longer do you have to fear the lie. No longer do you have to wonder about what is true and what is false. Jesus has shown you what is true. God loves you. He loves you in this way, that he sent his son to die for you. That is a truth that puts all other truths to shame. All other truths pale in comparison to that one most important truth. Know that above all else and rejoice. The darkness cannot bear it. Rejoice that your Savior has come to bring you truth. And today we learn that we rejoice by praying, by praying and working. Just like the people of Israel as they sat in Babylon, pray and work. Now, St. Paul tells the Thessalonians specifically to pray for this. There's all kinds of things that we we pray for intuitively, instinctively. Our health, the people we love. But Paul says specifically to pray for this. That the word of God would advance. That it would hasten on. That it would speed all around and more people would hear and more people would believe and the kingdom of God would grow. That is the chief task of the church. In this world, it is to pray that the church would grow. That God's kingdom's borders would expand. That more and more and more would call God their own and belong to him as his own children, as his own dear sheep. Pray. Never cease to pray. Never grow tired of doing this good and glorious deed. Pray that the light of God would shine brighter and brighter in the lives of all of those around you. There is still so much darkness in this world. We are privileged to live at a time when we can hear God's word, when we can read God's word freely. There is no problem, no limitation, no obstacle that gets in our way. And yet, even so, there is so much darkness. So pray that the light would grow. Pray that God's word would hasten on. And then get busy. Be diligent in whatever tasks God has given to you. Now, it's interesting that this charge that Paul gives to be busy, not to be idle. It comes in the midst of this concern about discipline. He says, if there's anybody among you who is idle, who thinks that the end of the world is coming, so what good is there doing anything at all, or who thinks that he can eat without working, if there's anybody among you who's like that, Paul says, don't have anything to do with him, that he would learn to be ashamed. That's not what we're about. We're not about that, dear brothers. We're not about just sitting on our laurels, just resting in what God has given us. There is rest indeed for God's people, but there is also work to do. It's not busy work. It's not just sort of bustling around the edges of life, doing this and that and trivial things, but it is the most important work 
that God has given to you, of loving the people God has put into your life. Be busy with that work day in and day out. Never tire of that work. That is what God has called you to do in this foreign land, to love the way that he has loved you. If there's any among you who say, well, that's not really something I'm interested in doing, then what should we say? Well, just like St. Paul said, we should say, have nothing to do with that person. That's not how we behave as Christians. That's not what it means to be a brother. Instead, love. Instead, care enough. Care enough to look out for the best interests of your neighbor. Care enough for the souls of your neighbors that you will share God's word with them whenever they need to hear it, as often as they need to hear it that you will see the darkness and you will bring light to it. Care enough about the souls of your family and your friends that you will be diligent in loving them with the love of Christ. There's plenty to do. There was plenty to do for the people of Israel there in Babylon, just with what God gave them to do, building houses, planting gardens, raising families. That is what God has given you to do, except in the New Testament, in God's kingdom, it looks a little bit different. It doesn't matter where you lay down your roots. It doesn't matter where you build your house. It doesn't matter what your name is. What matters is this, that you belong to God. And your house is a house built in his name. And your family is a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. And the light that he gives to you is a light that will never run out. You have plenty to spare. You have enough to go around to cover the whole world. And so, let us be busy, always, in imitation of Christ who worked and worked and worked for you and for me. Paul says to the Thessalonians, we came to you and we preached to you and we didn't take anything for free. You didn't give us any gifts. We worked with our own hands to show you an example of how a Christian should behave. We worked with our own hands and we showed you that work is good when it is given to you by God. And Paul was imitating Christ, who labored and labored and labored all the way to the cross who carried the load of your sins and mine, your sickness, your sorrow, your suffering, carried it all under his bent and broken back. He carried it all the way to the cross, breathing his last, carrying that load. What a precious, glorious example we have. Let us always follow Christ's example, who became our brother. St. Paul tells the Thessalonians, don't ever think about the people who are of the faith, the people who are in the life of Christ with you. Don't ever think of them as enemies. Even when you warn them, even when you remind them of what God's word says, they are brothers. Even when you turn them away for a time so that they would feel ashamed, they are still brothers, Paul says, just as Christ became your brother. That's what it means at Christmas when Mary laid that baby into a manger It meant that God himself had become your brother. He saw fit to take you into his family, to make you a part of his own. And so, look at one another, see one another the same way. And see the whole world as full of people whom Christ wants to draw near to himself, whom God wants to call his own. St. Paul ends his letter to the Thessalonians in a way that he often ends letters, with a remark about his signature. It seems that he wrote the final words of 2 Thessalonians in his own hand. He probably had somebody transcribing the letter for him as he dictated it. But then when it came to the conclusion, to the greeting at the end, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. Genuineness. And a sign of it. That matters. 
for people who were hearing all kinds of lies and who were being misled by false teachers. It matters that they have the genuine article. The thing from Paul that shows his sign so that they know that his words are the true words. Paul, again, is just doing what Jesus has done for you and for me. Jesus has marked this covenant, this promise of salvation for you, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. He has marked that promise with his sign, with his very own blood, a covenant that can't be broken. The genuineness of this promise, the genuineness of all that Christ wants to give you is with his own blood, sealed for all eternity. You can be sure and certain, more certain than the Thessalonians ever could have been that this was a letter from Paul. You can be certain because you have the blood of Christ. Rejoice that he has worked so hard to prepare you even now in this world, in this fleeting and dying world, to prepare you for eternal life. Rejoice and welcome him aright. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.